All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of Canucks conversation my name is david guadrelli that is harman dial our technical producer the man at the controls is grady sass right on time today people have been pointed out for the first what how long have we been doing this together three four weeks now four weeks yeah we probably had about three shows that started on time uh but we were always just a minute or two late right at two o'clock we are live today uh bringing you this episode of Canucks Conversation, but it's not just us bringing you this episode from the iconic Sheraton Wall Center in downtown Vancouver. It's also our friends at Rugby Sevens. That's right. We got a new sponsor, folks, and I'm going to read about them. HSBC World Rugby Sevens is Western Canada's largest sporting event, and this year is the ninth time the event has visited Vancouver as part of the World Rugby Sevens Series. HSBC Vancouver Sevens, where high-caliber rugby and the ultimate party weekend collide. SVNS, ooh, there's a, there's a little acronym, truly is a sporting event like no other and a weekend you won't want to miss. For full three days from February 23rd to 25th, BC Place is going to be the place to be. 12 women's and 12 men's sevens teams, including two Canadian squads, take to the pitch for full, three full days of jam-packed rugby and partying. Tickets on sale now at vansevens.com, starting from just $40 per day you ever watched rugby played it any any what's your experience with the sport no affiliation at all really hey yeah okay so i went to high school in north burnaby and we like for some reason we didn't have great basketball teams we didn't have like we had a ball hockey team in my senior year and that type of stuff but rugby like the burnaby school board 
their rugby teams are good. They're like they have good good rugby teams, okay? And I played rugby in grade eight. And the joke was always that like I was really fast in grade eight because everybody was my size and I was just faster than everybody because I was still really light. But then everybody grew. And then by grade nine, grade 10, like I played in grade eight, I played rugby and I just played wing, which is the end position. So you know anything about rugby? Like not formations, really. anything? Okay, anyways, wing is just the guy at the end is usually the smallest guy, the fastest guy just takes off. Um, and that was me. And I enjoyed that sport for a solid year. And then everybody else grew uh, <laughs> and I did not get any faster and everybody else got faster. So my rugby, rugby career ended after one year. But it was fun. It was it was very fun. Uh, and no, Jeremy, I did not go to Burnaby North, the other one. The one people don't like to talk about as much. Uh, anyways, let's get to uh, today's show. We've got a busy show today, believe it or not. Going to try to keep it shorter because it is obviously a game day. But we're going to be joined by Jeff Patterson in about 5-10 minutes time. Uh, talk to him about a few different things. But one thing we're going to talk to him is one thing that I wanted to bring up early on. And that is something we touched on yesterday the Canucks using rest as a weapon. This is something Jeff wrote about yesterday at Canucks Army. It's something I wanted to talk about a little bit further because Talkit expanded on it at Morning Skate today. And we'll get the audio clip in a second, Grady. I know we've got to build up to it. But basically, they were supposed to have a practice before the game against the Minnesota Wild. They canceled it. They were supposed to have a practice on Monday. They canceled that one as well, which means with an optional practice on Sunday out at UBC with the Pitbull concert in town, there were only a few players that got any practice over the past two days. So you guys like Pia Suter, who obviously needed the practice time, he was able to go get that practice time. But for guys like Quinn Hughes, Quinn Hughes has had two full days off. Like he has not had to go do anything. That is great. For him, that is great for the team. And I think it's going to be super important when we look at where this team is at the end of the month, how they're heading into the new year. I think it's going to pay, pay dividends that they're doing this. Yeah, it's a long season, especially if you want to play the type of demanding defensive style of hockey that uh, Tockett has sort of implemented, right? It's one thing if you're a team looking to sustain top form and you play like the Canucks did previously where it's just sort of run and gun and you don't, Back check is hard. You aren't as focused on reloading. You can get away with not winning your, your wall battles. But if you're on a night-in, night-out basis going to commit to blocking a lot of shots, to winning those battles, to back checking like crazy, then you have to be really mindful of managing your energy levels throughout the course of a season, especially because with the Canucks being a West Coast team, you're going to inevitably travel a lot more than uh, than your opponents, especially the ones in the Eastern Conference. So I like, and I'll also bring up, talk it on a couple of occasions is brought up, bringing science into it. So I don't know the extent of how involved he is with other members in the organization about that, but he, he seems really interested in so many different departments. Just overall, he seems very open-minded as a coach. He's spoken a lot about uh, analytics He's spoken a lot about the science department, managing rest. I'm sure he's, even, even when uh, the Sedins first sort of arrived and he was, he mentioned how, many, how much he was able to pick up from them, even in terms of little things like stick, stick checking wall battles that those are messages he could pass on to, to players as well. He seems very open-minded as a coach, wanting to get the input of others. 
And I'm sure that's part of what's gone into him giving the group a little bit more rest. He's almost like a modern day old school coach, right? Like we've talked about it before with his answers, you know, regarding stuff like Adam Johnson's passing and how he was supporting his players and, you know, opening up about how he goes through the grieving process and all of that sort of stuff. You know, he's kind of like, yes, he is old school, but he's also with a modern flair on it. And I think he's a really good fit for this team. And that's something that we'll bring it up during the anyone else section. Uh, But our pal Patrick Johnson over at the province had a Q and a, with Rick, uh, excuse me, with Jim Rutherford, and he spoke about Talkett's kind of style as a coach. Uh, a lot of different stuff in that interview. We'll get to it during anyone else, but I wanted to get to this clip uh, here, Grady, from um, from Rick Talkett here uh, at Morning Skate, courtesy of our friend Jeff Patterson, who asked the question here. Yeah, I, I think as a coach, you got to there's spots that you can't be afraid to give your team two days off, or you know, like seventy five percent of your team two days off. I mean, you know. In the summer, when you think about it, you're like, oh, I can't, you know, you can't do it. But I think in, in season, there's there's just gut feelings, and you're going to go with it. And I just felt uh, after that Carolina game, we could use the two days. Um, and and uh, I don't think I did it last year. Um, and you look at spots in the season to try to do it, and um, maybe a little ahead of schedule that I wanted to do it, but I, I really felt that uh, we needed these two days. You know, whether it trans, you know, I, I don't think it's a correlation if we win or lose tonight. I think it's for the, we're playing the long game. And I think that's an important part. Okay. Uh, so, yes, rest is a weapon. We'll continue this conversation with Jeff Patterson. But before we do that, Tampa Bay Lightning in town tonight, 47 points on the year for Nikita Kucherov, not even close to the guy who's in second, which is JT Miller uh, at the time of this recording. Talk to me about the Tampa Bay Lightning. Talk to me about Nikita Kucherov. How do the Canucks shut him and the Lightning down tonight? Well, the Lightning are a really interesting team to try and wrap your head around what exactly they are because, of course, with Kucherov and Point, they have such a dominant top line. They have such an electric power play. You definitely don't want to be taking uh, the types of penalties that the Canucks did on Saturday, Saturday night against Carolina. And yet you look at the middle of their lineup and it's just not nearly as potent as it used to be. I mean, even before I get into that, I also just want to point out, I'm curious to see what version of Andre Vasilevsky, the Canucks um, get. I'm assuming he's starting. I haven't double checked to confirm, but Vasilevsky in the season has an 899 save percentage. The lightning as a whole have allowed five and five goals against at the highest rate of all NHL teams, except San Jose. And of course, up until Vasilevsky's recent return, they haven't had him. They've leaned on uh, Jonas Johansson a lot in net. So that obviously affects uh, their goal prevention efforts. But also when you look at their shot and chance against numbers, they're a team that gives up a lot in both those categories. They're in the bottom third of NHL teams. So if you're the Canucks, you probably know that, you're going to be able to get your offensive looks. Um, This isn't the same lightning team that used to be able to roll out the Yanni Gord checking shutdown line and had that three headed monster on that left side of Hedman, Sergachev and, uh, and McDonough. McDonough used to really be the, the quiet backbone of that blue line because yes, Hedman's the most important, uh, most important defenseman, but McDonough was the one that took on the toughest matchups against the opposition's best players. And I don't think they've really been able to, fully plug in um, that whole, even though, even though that trade made a lot of sense because McDonough's declined since um, getting to to Nashville. The other thing I wanted to point out with Vasilevsky is since his return from injury, he started slow yet he's picked up three wins 
uh, in his last three starts with a 949 save percentage. So that's why I'm so curious because since his return, he was really awful in the first three starts or so. And then now he's been on, on an absolute heater. So that's going to have a huge impact on, uh, on on the Canucks performance Canucks are the favorites tonight we'll continue the conversation afterwards the one thing I'm really curious about is who's going to get that matchup tonight is it going to be the Elias Patterson line is it going to be the JT Miller line with the Tampa Bay Lightning being a bit of a one-line team with that super potent top line uh with Braden Point centering it and obviously 47 points people in the chat are pretty surprised about that too 47 points for Nikita Kucherov I don't know how I missed that like I, I didn't know he was up to 47 I knew he was leading the league I didn't know he was at 47. That's bananas. When you look at the last time the Canucks played the Lightning, they were in it for quite a while. And then Kucherov just had like a five to 10 minute stretch where he single-handedly took that game and stole it from the Canucks. It was pretty incredible to watch. He, he's so hard to defend because he can hit those cross ice passes in spots that almost no other player can, right? You'll, you'll think as a defender that you have him on the outside that you're as a team in the right positions. And yet he'll, he'll make like a blind spinning pass and somehow hit a guy on the back door, which the Canucks have to be really mindful of because over the last 10 games or so, they have been a lot more leaky when it comes to those backdoor plays, which is something that uh, talk it referenced as well this morning when uh, Drance asked about Demko's safe percentage sliding over the la- over his last 11 games or so. Talkett said, "Hey, we're giving giving up a lot a lot more backdoor plays. That's probably the biggest threat with Kucherov coming in town. Is how many uh, of those backdoor passes is he, is he going to be setting uh, his line mates up for?" Okay, ahead of Jeff Patterson, we just need to get our light the lamp contest read, and so let's do that. Vancouver is playing Anaheim tonight, and we want to know, excuse me, I just had that written down and did not update it. We will quickly change that. There we go. All right, here we go. Vancouver is playing Tampa Bay tonight, and we want to know who's going to score the first goal for Vancouver. If you nail it, you could win a $25 gift card to the Four Winds Tap Room located at 72nd and River Road in Delta. Enter by following us on social media. Keep an eye out for today's show clip and comment who you think will light the lamp and score the first goal tonight. Winners will be contacted directly. Check us out at Canucks Army or at Canucks Convo on Twitter, at CanucksArmy.com on Instagram, and Canucks Army on Facebook. And make sure you ask about the Four Winds Light Light Lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered to your front door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. I'm going with Niels Huglander. Oh, you really think it's vibes, man. Just go. Coronic. There you go. There it is. Okay, uh, let's bring him in. Our pal Jeff, thank you for waiting. Uh, sorry, this took us a bit. I uh, thought they were playing the Anaheim Ducks tonight somehow. Uh, Jeff Patterson is brought to you by our friends over at Greta, the home of our electric watch parties. Greta is Canucks Army spot to catch the game throughout the season, playoffs, and also our place to chill in the off season. I nailed that one, Jeff. Yeah, I think you had Alex Kalorn on your mind is what happened here. And of course, uh, a longtime member of that Tampa team. And it was interesting listening to Harm's breakdown of the Lightning. And they are a fascinating team to me because the star power and the name power just that brand recognition is still there. Stamkos and Kucherov and uh, Victor Hedman and Vasilevsky. But you talk about that next layer, and we've seen this, that you can't keep teams together in the salary cap era. So it's not just Kalorn, you know, Yanni Gord, Palat, Ross Colton, Corey Perry, Patrick Maroon, like all those guys that were parts of the depth of those Stanley Cup teams, they've moved on. 
this is the challenge now for Tampa is trying to replace, uh, you know, at, at lower price points and find value players that can come in and, and step up. But yeah, Kucherov, uh, the one trip through Vancouver, unless somehow these teams were to meet in the Stanley Cup final, uh, you know, and look, Stamkos getting on in years now, every opportunity you get to see this guy, just watching him operate on the half wall of the power play worth the price of admission. The big question for the Lightning guys, though, is Victor Hedman left the game the other night in Seattle, didn't return, and is listed as questionable for tonight. Now, Victor Hedman, who just passed the 1,000 game mark, uh, I think we all know what he is and what he means to the Tampa team. Leads them in average ice time per game and is also third on this team in scoring. So if he can't go tonight, that is a big blow for Tampa, but also massive opportunity for the Vancouver Canucks. Jay Pat, which forward line would you use head-to-head against the Kucherov line? Because last game we saw Elias Pettersson's line go head-to-head against uh Sebastian Ajo's line, but for the for most of this season, it's been the JT Miller line getting the tough matchups. Yeah, and with all due respect to Sebastian Ajo, who is a terrific player, he's not Nikita Kucherov the way that Kucherov is going right now. Uh, I, I think they're going to start with JT Miller. That's my hunch, and I think you play to JT Miller and the fact that there's been a little bit of leakage in his two-way game here of late. Uh, the offensive numbers are all still there for him. He's contributing. He's helping this team Uh, win more than it's losing but I do think on balance and we've seen a few teams Colorado Vegas top teams in the NHL you know they've kind of had their way in terms of the matchup game so we'll see but I think you look at JT Miller a former member of this Tampa team I think that probably you know gets him fired up even though he's done this uh, a few times since the trade but you look over and he's still got some friends on that side and I think you appeal to his professional pride and challenge him he's number two in scoring but the guy that he's trailing is the guy that ultimately the Canucks are going to have to stop here tonight. So uh, I think that I'm expecting it'll be the Miller line. Now with Nils Hoaglander there, that's a different wrinkle because we know that it's still a work in progress as well as he's played here. And I love the fact that uh, he seems to have gained the coach's trust and you know was out there late in the game the other night against Carolina, protecting a lead and diving in the neutral zone to be disruptive and break up plays and winning board battles and all those types of things. So those are all steps in the right direction for Nils Hoaglander. Again, that was Carolina. This is a, a Tampa team with you know as much top-end firepower as you can find in the National Hockey League, maybe save for Edmonton. So a uh, big challenge there if Nils Hoaglander is part of the group that's asked you to do that. What I've liked about this coaching staff, though, of late is they seem pretty malleable. And if the Miller line's not getting it done, then you know don't stick with it. Go to plan B, and that's Elias Patterson. And we've seen that he can handle the two-way game. And I thought it was fascinating the other night, guys, the fact that the Canucks milked a 4-3 lead uh, and Quinn Hughes had two shifts in the final six minutes that again it spoke to the coaching staff recognizing that this guy who's been all world for them and he's going to be again he wasn't playing all that well the other night had the bad turnover that led to the first Carolina goal uh, you know the the amount of hockey that this guy has played and the amount of ice time he's logged I don't know if that caught up to him it just it was an off night for Quinn Hughes they still win the hockey game uh, but the fact that they didn't need to rely on him down the stretch, again, I think is showing a, a growth and maturity in this coaching staff that a month ago, I think they would have just played the wheels off those top end guys and hoped for the best. Now they recognize that on some nights, look, I'm not sure that Tyler Myers and Nikita Zadorov is the answer to play the final 90 seconds of one goal games, you know, the rest of the way, but the other night it was enough and it was effective. And so I, I think you'll see the coach coaching staff go into this game tonight with a game plan but if the game plan and the game aren't going the way that they had hoped, you know, I think there's a willingness now to move away from that game plan and be flexible to make the necessary adjustments. 
you brought up Quinn Hughes looking a little bit off, potentially. Uh, the back-to-back days off. You wrote about it at Canucks Army. What do you make of that, and how do you think the team's going to respond tonight with that? Yeah, and I think this is instructive to the fact that people in this market, maybe we're seeing a maturity is from you know the fan base as well, that people aren't freaking out. Quinn Hughes has three points in his last six games. Like Quinn Hughes is not a half a point a game guy. And yet through it, the Canucks have more than held their own. But I do think some of that is just the workload catching up the compressed schedule that they had in November. Uh, we spent a lot of time a couple of weeks ago looking at that schedule, 10 games and 17 nights, eight different cities, all the travel on top of that. Nobody in the national hockey league played more minutes than Quinn Hughes and Philip Ronick was second in the entire league. So here's this compressed schedule that's taxing in and of itself. And on top of that, you've got two guys on your back end that log more minutes than anybody in the national hockey league. So you can understand if at some point Quinn Hughes, hits a little bit of a wall. He's human. I know he doesn't look like it on a lot of nights, but he is human. <laughs> and so again, I, I, I just think, you know, we think of talking those of us that are old enough to remember as a player, you know, this hard nose, tough as nails, but there is an evolution in Rick Tockett, the coach, and he seems pretty in tune and in touch with his hockey club and what they need. And the genesis of the article was after the game against Minnesota, he spoke about how, you know, he had intended to practice them last Wednesday after the loss to New Jersey, where they were a defensive carnival and gave up six goals, the most goals they've given up all year. And I think a lot of us thought, oh, this is going to be a tough practice and crack the whip. And instead, you know, he recognized that his team didn't have it against the Devils. And instead of, you know, hammering down, he backed off. He gave them the day off then. And then they beat Carolina. Sunday was an optional and a handful of guys took the option to skate. But a lot of the big names didn't. And then Monday was a full team day off. So two full days off for a lot of the guys, particularly the stars, the ones that have played an awful lot. And I thought it was interesting The you played the clip there where he said, you know, you can't be afraid to give your team two consecutive days off. Now, he said he had looked at the calendar. He thought this was something that he would have to do later in the season. So maybe he was a little ahead of the curve in that regard. Whatever the case, I think players will respect a coach that says, hey, guys, you know, rather than me skating the, uh, you know, the devil out of you, uh, I'm going to give you the day off. I'm going to back off here and play the long game, as he said. So, you know, I, I do think that there's a lot of thought that goes into this. I, I, I give Rick Tockett credit. Coaches love practice time. He always talks about how much practice time, you know, this is a five-game homestand, so they've been at home for the better part of two weeks, and they've had two, by my count, official full team practices in the month of December, and here it is the 12th. So, uh, you know, are there areas of their game that could use some help? Sure. But I think Rick Tockett recognizes that a 45-minute skate as opposed to just getting guys – to stay away from the brink, and it's not even the physical. I mean, the physical is a big part of it, but the mental, too, just to clear your head. I mean, it's taxing to play in the best league in the world, especially to play a, a key role, as so many of the top guys do. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it, the psychology of it is fascinating to me. And, you know, it's interesting, just as I wrote that story, got a lot of feedback from a lot of minor hockey coaches out there that thought, hey, like, this is really interesting. This is an angle that, you know, uh, we've wondered about it as well. Thanks for writing it. Uh, they like the input and the uh, the insight that uh, Rick Tockett provided on sort of his decision-making process of when to step up and when to, to back off. Recently, the coaching staff has made some tweaks to player usage on the PK. We've seen JT Miller and Elias Patterson killing a little less. We've seen somebody like Teddy Bluger 
killing more, especially first over the boards uh, on the back end. Somebody like Noah Juleson, who has uh, promising PK underlying results, starting to take on a bit uh, of a larger role. When you look at this penalty kill, J. Pat, how much room do you think is there to squeeze better results given the personnel? What is what benefit can this uh, team gain from, I guess, pushing you buttons uh, versus, I guess, how restricted they might be just with the personnel they have? Yeah, I, I, look, I, there's been a little bit of slippage in the penalty kill. There has. And so I think the fact that Rick talking and his coaching staff have these options and that Teddy Bluger is back and now has 10 games under his belt to sort of you know work through his preseason, if you will, and get up to the speed of the game that's been going on around him while he's been out. Uh, he's looked good. He's looked good at five on five on that line with Garland and, and Joshua. But I do think that, you know, the first guy out on the penalty kill uh, and look for all the good that JT Miller does. I, I think the numbers bear out that this still isn't his strong suit and kind of like Bo Horvat when he was here, you know, they profile as guys that should be able to kill penalties. And yet for whatever reason, the numbers just don't back that up. And so JT Miller has other areas he can contribute. Uh, penalty killing is hard. If you can relax his minutes so that he's fresher to attack in the offensive zone, whether a five on five or on the power play, I think there's a benefit there to the hockey club if you have capable fill ins. And I think the Canucks do with Teddy Bluger and Rick talking again this morning was talking about Dakota Joshua. Uh, you've got Sam Lafferty who can do some penalty killing. Nils Mon, since he's been called up, you know, he's become a fixture. And I think this is really sort of to take the conversation in a slightly different direction, Harm, but. Pia Suter now cleared. Like he might play Thursday. If not, he's going to play out on this road trip. There's another guy that had promising uh, underlying numbers as a penalty killer in the first, what, 15 games that he played. And then he's been hurt. So somebody's coming out of the lineup to make room for Pia Suter. Does Pia Suter become a penalty killer right away? Do they ease him back into the lineup? But I think at some point he's going to be part of this penalty kill as well. You know, is Nils Amon's penalty killing utility enough to keep him in the lineup? Does he slide to the wing? And are we looking at Kuzmenko or Phil DiGiuseppe as the healthy scratch? Uh, you know, so there are some moving parts here that are going to come with Pia Suter returning to the lineup. But the upside there is that he's another option for Rick Tockett uh, to be part of this penalty kill that can take some of those minutes away from JT Miller and Elias Pettersson that they can allocate uh, better and more effectively, I think, to help this hockey club. So penalty kill is still very much a, a work in progress. And I think some of the same things apply to the defense. They definitely have missed Carson Soucy. I don't think there's much doubt about that, just how rangy and disruptive he is at the blue line, preventing entries. And, you know, that's a big part of the penalty kill. If you can turn the other team's power play back and force them to regroup and run time off the clock. So, uh, you know, Soucy's going to be out for a little while still, so we won't go down that road. But Pia Suter is there knocking on the door. Really interested to see what the lineup looks like. How is he utilized? And can he be a shot in the arm to this penalty kill that could, I think, use a bit of a boost right now? Jeff, Thatcher Demko starts tonight. That surprise you at all? Uh, no. Um, you know, they, coming off a win the other night, uh, Tampa, again, we talked about uh, the top end skill there. I mean, I think these are the games that uh, a number one goaltender wants. You want to test yourself. Tampa uh, got a win the other night, or you know, last time these play these teams played in October. Interesting to note that Thatcher Demko has never beaten the Tampa Lightning. Now he's 0-3, so it's not like he's 0-13, but uh, has never been able to get a victory against Tampa. And of course, Tampa has been at the top of its cycle during Demko's time in the National Hockey League. So, uh, you know, could they have gone to Casey DeSmith? Sure. I mean, he's uh, stepped in and provided ample goaltending 
uh, when he's got the tap on the shoulder, but it just kind of feels like it's three or four games for Demko and then one for DeSmith. And of course, with Roberto Luongo night on Thursday, I think you're going to be looking at uh, you know a night for your number one goaltender there. I'd be really surprised if Casey DeSmith got that start, although he did defeat the Florida Panthers down in Sunrise uh, earlier in this season. So again, there are decisions to be made, but uh, to answer your question in a roundabout way, no, not surprised. Uh, again, I think Thatcher Demko, you know, there's a little bit of room for him to up his level of game, in, just like the guys out in front of him. Uh, and if the Canucks are going to get a win against Tampa, something tells me that Thatcher Demko is going to have to have his finger or at least his glove prints uh, on the end result. Yeah, um, so it's Luongo t- Ring of Honor night on Thursday night. And I, I don't know if everybody knows this. I'm saying more for the listeners. I know you know about it, Jeff. But there's going to be a ceremonial puck drop with the goaltenders and I'm sure that photo is going to be printed and put up at Rogers arena and with Casey DeSmith being the goaltender uh, at center ice, that would be, that would be something. Uh, I wanted to quickly ask you about the Luongo stick bid that's going on right now at Canucks army. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I'm glad you did because uh, time is ticking to the end of this auction. And thanks to everybody that uh, has supported it. Uh, if you haven't seen the story, you can go find it. Uh, at Canucks Army, and we'll bump it along uh, again tonight uh, to give it one more, a uh, little bit of push on, on social media. But uh, bottom line is, uh, Roberto Luongo gave my then seven-year-old son a stick at practice. So this is a decade ago, and my son has had it uh, in his bedroom, and it's just kind of sat there, and as my son has aged, he's now, uh, you do the math, he was seven then, it's 10 years ago. Uh, let's go with 17. How about that? Um the stick has found its way into storage here in our house. And we thought, you know what, there's got to be a better place for it. Like whether it's collectors or people with a, you know, a man cave, whatever, it would look good on the wall. Um, Christmas present, uh, a unique gift. Uh, and we tied this in with the ring of honor night. And so we were conducting this auction of an autographed Roberto Luongo. It was a practice use Reebok stick. Uh, you can see photos of it uh, on the, in the story at Canucks army. And we just uh, opened up the bids. And I can tell you right now, the leading bid with just over 24 hours to go is a thousand dollars. A thousand bucks. Yep. And it's all going to charity. Uh, we were very clear about this. This isn't me trying to sell a Roberto Luongo <laughs> stick in the, you know, the back alley around uh, Rogers arena. This is all going to the Canucks for kids fund. And we just thought spirit of the season tied in with the ring of honor night, uh, the stick that it was sitting here in storage. Uh, clearly there was a better use for it. So we've had some really generous bids, but none more generous than a thousand bucks. So if you want to uh, to get your hands on this Roberto Luongo uh, autograph stick and, and be the winner of this auction, you're going to have to get off the wallet and step up and come up with <laughs> something more than a thousand dollars, which blows my mind because I was hoping to you know raise a couple hundred dollars for this and the generosity of our leading bidder right now at a thousand dollars with just over 24 hours to go so uh, the auction closes at uh, the end of the day tomorrow so that we can announce the winning bid on uh, thursday which is uh, game day yeah and all the money's going to the canucks for kids funds before people come at me say that i'm trying to pocket all the money uh, exactly. that, that's been that's been said about me before anyways, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> uh jeff thank you for doing this my friend uh, always fun, guys. Looking forward to it. Uh, the Ducks, one of my favorite teams to watch. So this uh, is <laughs> an incredible night tonight. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, there he is, Jeff Patterson. You're a wagon duck. <laughs> yeah, I just I had the Ducks on the mind, man. I had the Ducks on my mind. I don't know how that happened because what the 
anyways, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into it. Whatever. Anyways, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay. That is who the Vancouver Canucks are playing this evening. Our thanks again to Jeff Patterson. Uh, quickly on the goaltenders, I wanted to quickly talk about it. I really thought this was going to be a Casey DeSmith start because I think when you look at the Canucks schedule, you're getting into that territory where if you only play him on back-to-back nights, you're going to start giving him the Yarrow Halak treatment, which you don't want. But he had gone over two weeks before his last start when he made his, his last start. The one before that had been over two weeks. So maybe week and a half, whatever. It had been a while and it had been the longest portion of the season he came out played great pitches a shutout talks about it post game and said yeah like I pride myself on being that guy who doesn't have to play all the time and can just come in and give you solid goaltending whenever I'm called upon obviously Casey Smith wants to play but it's interesting to me because I thought the Canucks would want to try to get him in this game because he's not going to play Thursday he's obviously going to play one of the back-to-backs but he's not going to play Thursday it's like Jeff said You've got that ceremonial puck drop with Roberto Luongo. Thatcher Demko's got the Luongo tribute on his helmet. Thatcher Demko wants to be a part of that. I'd be very, very shocked if Casey Smith starts that game on Thursday. And I don't know if I'm equally as shocked that Thatcher Demko starts tonight. I think probably a fine move. But I think if it wasn't Roberto Luongo tribute night, you would start Demko tonight and no, like without even thinking about it, you'd put Smith in on Thursday but now it looks like it's going to be two Demko starts and then one of the back-to-backs on the weekend. Just interesting to me. They I do thought... have the holiday break after San Jose. So for, yeah. I mean, they've basically got one game just to Philly between the 24th and, and the 31st yeah. to close out the month. And they even have New Year's off. So I'm sure the coaching staff is looking at that as well as a huge break in, in the schedule. Yeah, that's true. They played the 28th after Christmas. Of course, they play on the 23rd against San Jose Sharks. They play on the 28th, and they don't play again until January 2nd. I can't remember the last time that they had a break like that for the new year because they definitely didn't last year. Last year, didn't they play on New Year's Eve? I can't remember. Anyways. Yeah, they did. They played Calgary. I remember because I took the night off. <laughs> All right. Uh, yes, our thanks again to... Jeff Patterson. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's get to anyone else as we're in the final stretch of today's show. It's time for anyone else presented by DoorDash. It's our listeners chance to get involved and hit us up in the YouTube live chat. And it's also our listeners chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. That's right for a limited time. Our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code nation 25. That's all capital letters nation and the numbers two five offer valid in Canada. Canada. Wow. Subjects change, terms do apply. What is with me today? Anyways, Terrible. I see we've got... Wow, okay, thanks. <laughs> I see we've got some heaters in the chat here. Um, Heater trade proposals? No, you should you should go look at the chat. There's a, there's a commenter who's actually got some decent takes and no one wants to hear it. Uh, he's G. Ellis in the chat here. Actually has some decent takes in here. He's got a lot of bad ones, which maybe he doesn't want to hear, but um some good takes in here and people are making fun of him uh and he's just he's just throw, he keeps throwing him out there he doesn't stop he just keeps going and people are suggesting we give him a segment uh but this is the anyone else you can't segment. just say that without at least dropping one of the takes yeah okay well the one take that i saw from glis that i liked give uh, us a give us a, a really bad one and a good one okay uh okay well he said Elias patterson isn't worth over 10 mil okay that's okay so there's very rough <laughs> uh Garland should be two mil, not five. There's a good one, I think. Garland's better than a $2 million player. I don't know. G. Ellis and I, we were hanging out, and we said that Garland, two mil. Uh, what else did he say? I want to get to the good one. The good one that he said was about Philip Peronic, and he said if you keep playing Philip Peronic with Quentin Hughes, he's going to want $8 million, and he's not worth $8 million. And he's absolutely right. Yeah, it's... There you go. G. Ellis, you got Harmon to agree with you. It's tough because they played so well together. So from an honest perspective, you want to keep rolling with what's working. But if Ronick wants the bag, he's also got to prove that he can drive a pair without Hughes. Yeah. So that's um, that's something the Canucks are going to have to, I guess, work through. And of course, you're going to have more options once Susie's back. And uh, then you'll have more combinations. You could, You can even feel potentially a little bit more comfortable if you want to split them up and experiment with uh, with different combinations so yeah i wonder how we'll get there because that's something we talked about ethan bear a lot yesterday and what life would look like without him but that's something we didn't really talk about was whenever we were speaking about philip or at least when i was i said well when ethan bear comes back he's just gonna play with quinn hughes and you'll be able to get a sense of what philip peronic looks like driving a pair on his own i wonder what that's gonna look like i'm assuming we'll get to know more when everybody is healthy, like when Carson Soucy returns and they have those four lefties in the lineup, I think we'll get a chance uh, to see what that looks like. But I'm very curious. I'm very curious what that ends up being. And uh, Sniper pointed out here, chat is wild today. I am loving it. We've got a lot of listener interaction. Brian Choi hasn't listened to an episode in a while because he asked uh, why there's no interaction with the viewers since Faber left. We do it every day. We interact with the viewers uh, in the live chat. Faber, uh, Brian, I almost called him Faber there. I wonder if Faber's watching. It's funny because that's what happens is, and Brian, you haven't watched in a while. What we'll do is we'll bring up something 
and then Faber will text us or he'll go in the chat. Like he'll go in the live chat and just be like, hi folks. So like after we've said something about him. So hopefully I just summoned him. Uh, if he's watching, hopefully he gets in the chat there. Okay. This one is from Jesse for me. Aside from the mysterious floating RC Orca, what RC inflatable player logo mascot would you like to see around the rink? I would like to see like an RC Pavel Bury just floating around the rink, but it's so fast and you can't really track it down. Like that would be a cool, you, you'd ha- think about it this way. You'd have all the newer fans, right? That you're trying to get, come be a fan of your organization, be a fan of your franchise. And they're like, who's that? Oh, you can't even see him. Pavel Bury flying. Am I onto something? It's not the worst idea I've heard, but I also don't know if I'm quite buying it. Whatever. Okay, this is a good one. This is just a nice big picture. Andrew Christensen asked, and I'll let you answer it first. Your favorite player of all time, not necessarily Canuck, favorite player of all time. I'd say Kessler for me. I was, of course, a huge uh, diehard in the in the 2011 uh, run. That's, I mean, I was a fan before that, but that was such a special run. And Kessler was my favorite player, just such a heart and soul player. And of course, his exit wasn't um, wasn't the best, but I also sort of understood it where. I was like, okay, this guy's just hyper competitive and is miserable if he's not contending for a cup. And I am actually pretty sad that he didn't get to win a Stanley Cup in his career, as I am for a lot of members of that 2011 core. Speaking of which, my favorite player growing up, especially Roberto Luongo. Like it was, it was Roberto Luongo, hands down. The glove hand. And I spoke about it yesterday. You forget how good his glove hand really was. And then you see these compilations and quickest hand, uh, glove hand in the NHL. Uh, someone jumped in a lot of people jumped in with the RC inflatable idea someone said they want to see a flying skate inflatable so that it actually flies someone else said an inflatable of John Garrett <laughs> bless this is Commander Vander that said this blessing us all with hot dogs because remember how the RC Orca used to drop like I don't know like blockbuster tickets and stuff I don't remember that Did you ever been to a blockbuster I've been to a blockbuster. Okay, yeah. good. I'm just making sure because we're the same age. We should both have had that experience. But yeah, they used to drop like vouchers and stuff from this RC Orca. Um, and we spoke about this before. I'm I'm still hunting for it. Like I have I have inquired with a lot of people at Rogers Arena. I have people looking for it. Like we are trying to track down what happened to this thing. And someone said, yeah, Commander Vander said, uh, just a cheap cheech blimp uh, blessing us with hot dogs. I love it. I love it. Uh, okay. Jesse C, this one I'll throw to you, Harmon. Sellers or buyers market at the deadline affected by knowing the cap increase for next year? Is it a sellers or buyers market at the deadline affected uh, by knowing the cap increase for next year or still potentially quiet? Good question. I haven't had a chance to really think about it too much yet. I mean, the one thing that strikes me about this deadline is just it's a pretty boring market in terms of how many big name players are out there. I mm-hmm. mean, there's a Calgary guys in terms of Lindholm, Tan- Tanev, Hannafin. But after that, I mean, it's it's a pretty thin group. I mean, I'm just going to pull up uh, Chris uh, Johnston's uh, trade board at, at the Athletic for reference. And yeah, and he's got Sean Walker as his four, as, as number four, Ilya Labushkin, number five. That's a third pairing defenseman. And of course, this was done two weeks ago so but there's been some new names like I mean, kuzmenko's thrown there. in there maybe but but yeah like the point is it's a pretty boring deadline at least in terms of obvious pending ufas mm-hmm. that you can point to right last season there was timo meyer there was bo horvat 
there were a lot of exciting big name targets, but outside of Calgary, there there isn't a whole lot. Okay. Uh, on the topic of trades, on the topic of Andre Kuzmenko, I brought up something I wanted to bring up during anyone else's. Did anyone else read the Q&A that Patrick Johnson, our pal, did with Jim Rutherford over at the province? If you haven't, make sure you go check that out because it is chock full of good information. But there are two questions and two answers that I found particularly interesting. I'm planning on writing about it over at Canucks Army. We'll probably talk about it more tomorrow. But Jim spoke about the Oliver ekman Larson buyout and how he has to worry a lot about years three and four spoke about how the plan to contend during those years kind of hinges on, and I don't want to misquote him, go read the article. He talked about uh, if you want to be competitive and you have to contend, um, you're always going to be against the cap, all that sort of stuff. But he talked about these young players coming in in the pipeline. Uh, If they get to where we're projecting them to be, that all will fall into place. Uh, And then he went on to say, you don't want to rely on that, but they do feel confident about the work that Jeremy Carlton is doing out in Abbotsford, uh, the development he's doing with those players. And you just think about back to the conversation we had when Dallas was in town and we were speaking about them and how they've managed to stay competitive. And it's, you know, it's guys like Wyatt Johnson and those players coming in on ELCs and being impact players. I was just trying to map it out in my head of what that might look like for the Canucks. Like Tom Willander, we expect would be here next year, right? Like pretty safe to say. If not at the start, by the end, he'd sign. Yeah, by the end. By the end sure. of next year, yeah. he'd sign. Might be here for the start. Like, he might sign at the end of this year. It might happen. Probably won't, but yeah. it might, might happen. It also depends, right? Because you turn him pro, do you want to... Is he ready to play in the NHL right away, or is he starting in the AHL? Exactly. Especially because we've seen, for instance, like David Juracek... Uh, or Simone Nemich, who were drafted way, way higher, much higher pedigree. I shouldn't say much higher, but definitely higher. Like yeah, Nemich yeah, was a totally, number two totally, pick, and Yurichek sure. is an absolute stud. Uh, they're in their draft plus two season, which will be Willander next season. Yeah. And the only reason Nemich is up in the AHL, even though he's he had been lighting it up, is because of Dougie Hamilton's injury. And Yurichek has barely been playing, even though Columbus doesn't have a great blue line. Yep. So, And Nemich got bounced around during that Canucks game. Like I was watching, and JT Miller was hitting him a lot. He looked like he yeah. was getting his welcome to the NHL moment right before our eyes. And hey, he was playing first penalty kill. He was pl- he basically was playing all of the minutes that Dougie Hamilton would play. Like He's playing top pair for the New Jersey Devils. So it's an interesting uh, conversation. But still, even if it's not next season, right? Because this is the first year of the yeah. buyout. Blend well, being here, that still lines up. So Willander's one, right? But Karamaki, if he's going to hit, yeah, he's going to be here by 2023, 2024. He'll be on an ELC for both of those seasons, you would uh, assume. He's going to take time. But 20, okay, so... so you said 2023, 2024. The, the first season of the OEL buyout. No, no, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean 2023, 2024. I meant years three and four. Is what uh, I meant. okay, bad. yeah. Three and four of the OEL buyout, which will be when Karamaki's here. Because next year is year two of the OEO bio. It's manageable with the cap, right? Yeah. Year three and four is where they are really paying attention to. So it's just, and I maybe didn't do the best job explaining it, so my apologies to you, but it's really interesting hearing Jim Rutherford say this, that, yeah, this is kind of our plan to be competitive, is we need to have these guys come in. Further to this point, and I'm sure it's a bigger conversation we'll have later in later episodes, but it really gives me the sense that they don't want to trade this year's first round pick. Because 
how many bullets in your chamber do you have that you're extremely confident about? Like, are you extremely confident that Hunter Brustevich can come in and be an NHL defenseman in those years? Like, we're talking two years away, right? Years three and four of that buyout is when you need these guys in the lineup. You're confident about Willander. They definitely are. But Karamaki, you're probably thinking, okay, he can come in. He can at least be a middle six winger. At in least years three and four. that's, I mean, you have to remember prospects. This is the sad part of a prospects. A lot of them just don't hit. And yep. I'm not saying like Karamaki's not going to, but it gets tricky when you're saying with certainty that he'll at least be a middle six and this, forward. This is my years, point. Right? This is my point because I'm trying to map out who they have that are like locks to be well, impact like, players. Well, Lander might be the only one. Yeah. And then from there, you're hoping whether it's, yeah, like a Lakaramaki or Ratu, a Baines or Ratu. Ratu Baines. Like, yeah. That's why you need as many, as many lottery tickets as you can because prospects outside of the absolute elite ones that you draft and draft in the top 10 even the promising ones they're they're like nothing's a guarantee with prospects and it's nothing about them individually it's just you look at you look at so many guys that tear up whether it's junior or european leagues even the ahl and they don't really turn into anything i mean think about back in the day when uh, the rare occasion when the canucks did Remember that one trade deadline when the Canucks acquired Jonathan Dallin for, for Burroughs? Yes. And Nikolai Goldobin. And one both of them were, were trending so well in pro leagues. Yep. And I mean, I thought at least one of them would hit as a middle six forward and neither of them turned into anything. Again, that's not what I'm saying is going to happen to like Mackey necessarily. I'm just saying that you need a high volume of exactly. these talented prospects totally. because you just never, you can't predict who's going to hit, who's not going to. And that's that's kind of what I'm trying to say is that it really gave me the vibe, his answers today in that article. It's on theprovince.com. Like I said, our, our pal Patrick Johnson wrote it. Go check it out. Uh, it really made me think that, okay, they're probably not going to trade the first round pick this year. Even though early in the season, I was telling you, that thing's good as gone. Of course, they're getting rid of it. It really made me think with that kind of outlook that Jim provided, really made me think that, yeah, this team does not want to trade their first round pick. Yeah, I'm curious what projections they're assuming internally because that's going to ultimately shape their uh, decision-making with how, I guess, reluctant they are going to be to move future assets, whether it's picks or prospects, as they try and, I guess, straddle straddle that line between you want to field, you want to continue to upgrade this roster, but you also got to make sure that there are cost-efficient young players available down the road. Okay. Um, Let's see here. Uh, Matt asked, what's the update on Carson Soucy? Nothing's changed. We still think he's on that normal timeline of six to eight weeks. We haven't heard of any setbacks or anything like that. So we will keep you posted. I should be back in mid to late January uh, based on that timeline or early February around then January, February, late January, early February is what we are more realistically looking at. So we'll see when Carson Soucy makes his return. Uh, Okay. We got a lot here. Uh, We'll get to this one and then we'll close it out. Sunny D asked if Kuzmenko is off the first unit, which forward replaces him? Say Niels Huglander, probably. I don't think they're gonna going give right him now. I don't think they're gonna give him that. I Hug- mean look at Huglander? how long look at how long it took Hoglander just to get on the second unit. But that was when Tockett didn't like him. But also <laughs> Tockett loves him now. I, I don't know if Hoglander's going to be a great power play weapon, if I'm being totally honest, because what he does best is he's a wrecking ball in the forecheck. He creates offense from below the goal line. And it's his speed and tenacity that creates offense. 
on the power play when you're in more of a set formation. And I know the Canucks have more of a movement-based power play, but Hoaglander doesn't have a great shot. He, it's improved this season, but he, he doesn't have a ton of velocity in, in that you're not expecting him to beat goalies from the flanks or the perimeter. And Tockett has referenced, which I think is right, that Hoaglander's hockey IQ is a work in progress. And the one thing you need when you're on that first unit, unit power play and they're moving around a lot is you need to be on point with your reads where you're moving off the puck. So I don't think it's Oglander. I am, and here's Who do you the thing. think it is? I don't know because I don't love a lot of the other options. Maybe it's Garland, but I don't love his, I mean, who else? Like it's not going to be Mikheyev. I don't think I would take Hoaglander over Garland or Mikheyev. I would to not answer do that. the question. You would put Garland ahead of Hoaglander. Yeah. I don't love Garland either because similar to, Hoaglander, he doesn't have he doesn't have good finishing. But do you know how many puck, you know how many possessions you would lose because Garland's looking, looking, and then just fires it at the goalie's pads from the point, the half wall point. Like, come on, he he's not that bad on the power play. Like, I don't, I don't think, like. I don't know, I'm not saying play. he's bad. I'm just saying that he's going to shoot from awful angles, and it's just going to okay. be a turnover with a little more flair and a couple spins thrown in there. Ta- no, I'd be shocked if Hoaglander gets first. You, you know. T- Look at how long it took him to get to the second unit. But that was what Tockett didn't like him. That's what I'm pointing out. Tockett likes him now. He's doing all the right things. He's getting rewarded for it. Hoaglander's offensive game, and also, to the point of the tenacity, don't you want that guy on the boards getting you pucks back? Garland's pretty effective in that area, too. I don't think there's a huge discrepancy. Yeah, but once he gets them, then he's going to shoot it at the goalie immediately. He's going to spin. quietly, I don't think this is a big problem yet. And he absolutely deserves to be on the second unit. But Hoaglander has already fumbled a couple entries on the second unit, if you've noticed. Yep, you're right. Not that they've been egregious, but he's fumbled you're them. Right, he's you're right. them over. Yep. I, I trust Garland in those entry situations to cleanly carry it or make a clean pass more than I do Hoaglander. I think we both agree at some point it's out. Unconfident Andre Kuzmenko is still better than anything else that we're putting out there, right? Oh, I'd much rather Kuzmenko yeah, absolutely. than any, anybody else. We spent too much time just trying to answer a question about uh, a hypothetical of if Kuzmenko is off the first unit, which he's not. Um, so, anyways, let's uh, let's get to Betway. Let's get to Betway. A lot of good questions, folks. Uh, we'll get to a lot of them tomorrow. Keep them coming. There was, there was a shocking amount for a Tuesday afternoon, but we got to a good amount, which I'm happy with. Anyways, let's get to Betway, brought to you by our friends, obviously, at Betway. There it is. I didn't even, I, I wasn't even setting it up. I forgot I put this in. But our bet tonight is for Niels Hoaglander to score a goal. A $10 bet at plus 275 odds returns you $37.50 over at Betway, Betway, Betway. Must be 19 plus to play. If you choose to play, please play responsibly. There you have it, folks. Niels Hoaglander, book it. Uh, people are wondering, everybody's wondering, the people yearn for it. Uh, my Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor pick hit yesterday uh, as the Dallas Stars won, which I was very excited about. So, Congrats, I'm proud of you. Yeah, so now I'm back, day two. Uh, I think Frank Cervalli is going to join us tomorrow. We'll see if both Frank and I are in for tomorrow. Uh, we'll see how it goes because both of us were bumped on last Monday. But hey, I'm still in it. Hopefully, Daddy Faceoff over there is still in it as well but for now we are signing off for my co-host Harmon Dial and our technical producer Grady Sass my name is Dave Guadrelli thank you so much 
for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Canucks Conversation with Harmon and Quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. And if you missed it, go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher app. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue checkmark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.